show on the uh, Bebo Archery podcast we've got Talon Skills Piggins a uh, very interesting name very interesting guy and he's our current uh, WA Age Masters group uh, Bebo champion after the uh, very first the inaugural championship that was held at uh, uh, Wallingford Castle Archers uh, it, it just uh, a few weeks back maybe three weeks back now and uh, Talon joins me on the line now where are you at the minute Talon? Uh, tonight, um, I am in Marlborough, um, staying at a Premier Inn. Uh, I am on a gliding course, not as a, a, a participant, but as a volunteer. Uh, so it's a battleback gliding course um, for veterans. Uh, I went on the same course two years ago, enjoyed gliding, uh, managed to go solo, and I joined the club uh, which was hosting the Battleback course uh, so now a couple of years on I'm coming back to give my time uh, to help those enjoy the course uh, I drive one of the trucks up and down the field uh, towing out the cables or I sit inside the caravan and do the sort of the controlling of the gliders to launch them via the computer and the radio to the winches and, cool. and bits and pieces. And, do, and, and also chat to the members of the course. Um, you know, I've been in their place. Uh, I felt the nerves initially. Yeah. Um, because... Take it yeah. off without an engine. You do, you're trying to, <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you've got... There's so much to learn. And obviously... You know, there is quite a high risk element yeah. when you have to land because you have no engine. You you can't simply, oh, I've made a mistake. I'll just put the power on and I'll go around again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is when, once you start to land, that's it. You're going to land. Yeah, you're committed. Um, and you're committed to it and you've, you've, you've got to get it right. Um, if you don't give – well – if you stray too far away from the airfield, you you you, you don't get back. Yeah, yeah, um, oh yeah. I know a but, few people I who've mean, done that. <laughs> yeah, so so I mean, everyone has an instructor with them at the moment. Although today, um, we have a, a helicopter pilot who is also on the course, um, and uh, he went solo, uh, and that was great for him at the end of the day. Um, cool. No, it's it, it, it's great to see how the confidence of the individuals grows yeah. as they as they learn new skills and they become more confident and competent in the sky yeah, and it just, yeah. it just helps them. And I, and I certainly found it myself and, you know, I've been gliding ever since and it's Excellent. a truly wonderful thing to do. You it know, it, it sort of, it's like, I enjoy the art, I enjoy archery because 
you're very still. Yes. And it's quiet. And gliding, again, when you're up there, it's quiet and it can be very peaceful and it's very zen uh, because there's lots of noisy things that go on in life. You know, yeah, there's yeah. There's work and all the rest of it. Um, and it's nice to have those moments of, of tranquility. Yeah. Definitely. And obviously, you know, and, and that's why I like the bare bow. Yeah, 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 definitely. We'll get onto that in a second. But you're for people who don't know you, um, you're a very, very interesting person, um, and you've overcome a lot of adversity, and you've um, got yeah. um, you've got you've got a lot going on in your life, and you know it's very diverse. You, do, you know, from archery to motor racing motorcycles. Um, doing downhill skiing i mean I'd, I'd like you to discuss a little bit about that before we get into the archery because i think it's important that people know who you are where you've come from and then you okay. know the achievement of kind of winning the masters um against some good shooters uh, richard heathcote who's our current um um Bebo, uh, 50 meter uh, record holder and uh, yeah. you know you won all the way through the um the, you know, they won the qualifying stage and you won the head-to-heads, the eliminations into the final and won the final. So uh, that is an achievement in itself, but I want to save that till later because I think it's important <laughs> that people know who you are. And just looking at your bio, um, it seems like we've we've got a lot of things that, you know, we we like similar things. Um, you've got obviously got a passion for the motorcycles, um, yeah. you know, with the racing and, and that kind of thing. Um, and with the gliding as well, um, similar kind of uh, passions. Um, skiing is not one of mine, though. I, I Every time I go anything on um, uh, dry slopes, ski slopes, I hurt myself. I manage to find every little edge to flip myself over, and uh, mm. usually on a, on a snowboard, and I usually come yeah. a real nasty cropper. So uh, skiing is not one of my things. Uh, I, I, you know, it's something I've done and I've tried, and that that kind of moved on from that because I realised yeah. I, I could yeah. hurt myself quite badly. But yeah, I, I, one thing I am interested in is 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 um, your name. Is it Old English or Cornish or something like that? Because it's it's, it it's is very Cornish. Unique. Yeah, yeah. Do, so, you, do you know the uh, history of it? Um, well, so when I was 12 years old, I asked my, my mother, uh, what, where did my name come from? And, uh, and she said, you know, Talon, you know, when, when, when we found, when your dad and I found out you were, we were pregnant, um, didn't actually want a child at that time. So you sort of unwanted. Oh, oh that's like, nice. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, and, and she said, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so um, I was looking through a book of Cornish names and I came across Talon. And Talon in Cornish means unwanted lump in the abdomen. <laughs> and so we decided to call you that. And, and, oh, and I honestly thought that was my name. Uh, however, it isn't. It doesn't mean that at all. Um, you can look, I think Tal is uh, the forehead. And, and possibly gold. Um, so Celtic chiefs used to wear a golden band, like a bit of rope with some gold in it, across their forehead to signify that they were the chief. There was no crown. Yeah. Um, so maybe the Talan was the... I'd like to think it was the golden band that goes across the forehead. Right, okay. Um, 
Are you but Cornish yourself? Are bit... your family from Cornwall? Is that your Yo, heritage? Gosh, well, you can tell from my massive Cornish accent, obviously. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> not. It's not shining through. Um, so no. <laughs> obviously, this, the, the Skills Piggins is not from Cornwall. Yeah. Um, so Skills Piggins goes back to about 1834, and that originates sort of in the Norfolk area. Okay. However, when we go to my mum's side, I'm a Tremaine, and that goes back to... Oh, I don't know. I think it's a 13th century. Oh, a long um, way then. A long way. And, and, and before that, you know, apparently there was Paris de Tremaine, who was uh, supposed sort of a knight who had been on the Crusades over, and he came to Cornwall and he was given land um, down by Helford. Um, okay. And there's in fact a Tremaine Key, uh, you know, up up the rivers of the Helford, um, and that's where the family are, and they and they stay down there. Uh, so the Tremaines are a very old Cornish family. Um, excellent, excellent. Nice and, bit of history there. Yeah, just just yeah. for people that aren't in the UK, um, Cornwall's down in the very. It's the kind of ha- the, the sleeve sticking out from the very southwest corner of uh yeah. of, of england right down at the so bottom in, it goes to the furthest kind of point down off to the uh, yeah to the, the the west cornwall has the most southerly and the most westerly points of mainland uh, yeah england yeah, yeah. Uh, within it. Although the Cornish would say that they aren't part of England, yes, they yeah. are their own <laughs> yeah. entity. The uh, you know they have we have uh, the Cornish language, um, which isn't spoken you know massively across the county. There are a few people that do speak it, and there, and there's a resurgence uh, yeah. within the language yeah. itself. And it's great to see that you know some of the the signs are being written in both English and also Cornish. Um, you know I. I, I will not claim to speak Cornish um, at all. So, I mean, I can say um, like Derda Dachwai, which is like a greeting, and that's about it. Okay, okay, that's more than me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just, um, you've got quite an interesting history, um, and I'd like for you, rather than me read it off, which I think there's no, it's not, personal enough I, I don't know enough um and it's your story so i'd kind of like you to to tell it and then at the end obviously tack on how you ended up doing archery how you got yeah. into archery and and why barebow in the end and, and i think richard heathcote gave me a little bit of background and it was unfortunate i was down at the um the masters um but we were at completely the opposite ends of the line um okay so i didn't get a chance to kind of i think you ended up shooting in the head-to-heads a few targets down from me as well and i was i was eliminated pretty much i was having i was having the worst day ever so i was eliminated um fairly quickly and given the fact that i had um a six-hour drive in front of me. I was I was not hanging oh, around yeah. for awards and presentations. Yeah, sure, I was sure. off in the car. So I did, unfortunately, I, I apologise. I didn't get a chance to speak to you oh, then. But okay. um, so yeah, if you could just give us a bit of your your kind of your your, oh. your background, and then obviously as I, I've explained, how you got into archery and how all that kind of came yeah. about. So very briefly, then I did grow up in Cornwall. Yeah, um, and my passions were basically the sea so i was i was into windsurfing and sailing and oh you know and that was my dream and i, I really wanted to become a an actual uh, professional windsurfer 
although my my mother didn't think that was a uh, a real job um, <laughs> so, so so that was banned um i I was in the Navy, uh, then I left the Navy, and uh, I became a PE teacher. And so in beginning of March 2003, I was a PE teacher. I had uh, plans and aspirations to become a head teacher. Uh, I was planning on going out to Africa. Uh, had a job at the Mombasa Academy. I was going to go out there for a couple of years uh, and then come back to the UK, become a head of the department become a deputy head and become a head teacher and, and effectively that's what I expected to be doing now uh, however you know despite you know us all setting goals setting plans something gets in the way every now and then uh, and for me uh, I was basically knocked off my motorbike and run over by the oncoming traffic so that paralyzed me from the chest down uh, so in one moment I went from P teacher loving life and you know everything was going going well for me uh to being someone who had a 30 percent chance of survival uh and uh, if i did survive i was going to be in hospital for about two years um so that, obviously that wasn't in your plans obviously that, that was that, not that was part not of my part plan. of the goal setting so, at all so then i had to uh i had to have a bit of a rethink um and initially, when the change happened, oh, I just, I just couldn't see any reason to keep going. Really, uh, you know, when sometimes when there's trauma and when we have this massive change in our lives, the only thing that we can see is the immediate aftereffects of the trauma yeah, and the immediate yeah. aftereffects of the change, and you can't see far enough down the the path ahead of you uh, to see any reason to continue. So I was, I, I just gave up. Fortunately for me, um, a chap came into hospital for a regular checkup and he came and spoke to me and he told me about the different things that he was doing. You know, he also admitted it was going to be tough uh, and it was going to be you know, a life full of challenge. However, they were challenges worth taking because of all the different things that you could do. And then he finished off his conversation by admitting that he'd just come back from the mountains and he had been skiing. Uh, and I couldn't believe it. Did that, blow, did that, that blow your mind? Did that blow your mind? It absolutely blew me away. And I was like, wow, you can, you're, you're paralyzed, but you can ski. And you have this sort of fiberglass seat, which is attached to a metal frame. And then under the metal frame is a, like a shock absorber that you would have on a motorbike. Uh, and then that goes to a foot plate and that foot plate fits in a regular ski. And in your arms, you put these little miniature crutches and they have little baby skis on them. And by using this special piece of adapted equipment, you can move around the mountain. Uh, and I just I thought that was amazing. And I started to think about the idea of skiing. And, uh, you know, I've got to admit that I was on a considerable amount of morphine at the time. And so I got a bit, <laughs> yeah. I got a bit carried away with myself. <laughs> and, I, and I went, you know what? Hey, yay, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn to ski. But not only am I going to learn to ski, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to be the best skier I could be and I, I'm going to get into the British team and I'm, I'm going to go to the Paralympics and so in my head I had all these crazy ideas and unfortunately I must have verbalized my ideas and 12 days after my accident in a local paper it says paralyzed teacher vows he will ski for country uh, I was like oh no me and my oh, big mouth has got me in a whole world of trouble bit, that's put a bit of pressure like, on ah. you <laughs> so um you know and then it was a case of well how, how in the world am I going to go from 
you know, I still only had a 30% chance of survival. You know, I was still in intensive care. I was still really unwell. Yeah. Um, uh, through to, you know, I made this bold claim that I would get to the Paralympics in seven years' time. Uh, so I sort of came up with this idea that I would, you know, have to obviously survive. I'd have to rehabilitate, learn to live independently. Then I would have to learn to ski, then get in the team and then get selected for the Paralympics. And so instead of my 10-year plan of becoming a head teacher, I then had a seven-year plan of becoming a Paralympian. And sort of cutting a very long story short, seven years to the day when I said that I would go to the Paralympics, I did. I uh, went to uh, Vancouver 2010, the Winter Paralympics, as part of Team GB, uh, representing Great Britain. And I was you know, honoured and humbled at the same time to be there. Uh, I was really hoping to win a gold medal. Um, unfortunately, it didn't. You know, not everybody, only one person gets to win the gold yeah, medal. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and, it, and on that particular day, it wasn't me. You know, I I, I got a 15th and a, a 25th, um, and I was a top-placed male British skier um, at, the, at the Games. And so, you know, I, I did well. The very next year, I did much better, and I did win gold at uh, international championships, and went on to become the European champion. That's uh, awesome. You know, awesome. It was just—it was one year too late. Yeah. But there yeah. we go. You know, one of those things. But in um, in, in one sense as well, it's kind of a, a triumph in your goal planning, because you've obviously had kind of goals that you'd set and you'd thought of a ten-year plan before your accident, and then you'd set—you know—you'd had to refocus, and this. Yeah. What when I was reading your kind of bio, um, and I, I did watch a video, and I would recommend that um, that anyone um, who's interested in your story watches the video. Um, it is on YouTube. Just um, uh, just put in the search on YouTube, uh, talent skill piggins, and it should come up with um, uh, the little person inside. Um, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I, I, and that's. That that's everything about your kind of your background and the kind of inspiring story. But it, it it also resonated with me about you know you have a goal. Say, I mean the kind of big thing at the minute is um, mental health with within um, yeah. the you know within sport um, because there's a huge pressure on athletes to to take the gold, and there's also a huge pressure on athletes to visualize themselves stood on the top of the podium with the gold medal and when it doesn't happen what does that do to your psyche but at the same time you need to be adaptable so that you can you know you've set a goal it's now not going to happen the way that you planned it in your head and the way you wrote it down and the way that you adapted is just remarkable that you've adapted you've seen that that goal's gone. I need to refocus. And for me, it was like a another triumph on top of all the other triumphs against adversity of you know being able to take a goal and say, look, that's that has to go. It's either on hold or it's finished. I need to refocus and stay positive at the same time. So that's what kind of shined yeah. through with that for me. But anyway, sorry for rudely interrupting you because no, there's fine. still a lot more of your story to uh, well. to, to be revealed. <laughs> So yeah, I suppose we get we get to the point where I'm 
now the European champion of skiing. And and I'm thinking that the skiing is now going to sort of, it's, it's coming to a, an end. Uh, and what I want, didn't want to do was just come to, to the edge of the cliff and just fall off. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of people set themselves, you know, challenges and, and these goals and, and then you achieve them, then what next? So yeah, I didn't want yeah, to be yeah. one of those person that just comes to a grinding halt because you build up this momentum of uh, of, of success uh, and it's like you use it, continue to use it onto onto the next thing. Um, so in as I found myself getting closer to the end of my skiing competition, I started low level uh, to think about a new challenge. And, and that challenge was to get back on a motorbike uh, and to become a motorcycle racer. Um, and, and, and I bear, bearing opted. in mind as well that, that due to your injuries, you were you you, you didn't have any. So oh, just yeah, give us a, just give us a back a bit of of an indication of how severe because some people might say, like, oh well, you might not be able to walk. He's on crutches, but. Y oh, yeah. You know, I, it's it's not that's not the case, is it? Sort of glossed over that bit. Um, yeah, <laughs> we I, was, I, was quite, I, was quite, I was quite badly injured. So I, uh, when I had the original accident, I shattered two bones in between my shoulder blades, which are T4 and T5, and so that severed the spinal cord. So I have about an inch and a half of the spinal cord missing. It's no longer there, just from the the absolute explosion of the bones. Uh, I broke two more bones in my neck at C6 and C7. Uh, now, that didn't paralyze me at the neck level. It's caused some weakness, but not, uh, you know, hard, hardly anything. Uh, I broke my ribs down the left-hand side, punching my left lung. Uh, I had massive internal injuries. Uh, yes, so I was really poorly. So that has effectively left me paralyzed from the sternum down. So I've got, I can use my arms and I can use my pectoral muscles but I have no way of balancing or sitting upright. So I have to always lean against something if I'm sat up because I cannot sit unaided. So I could, could never sit on a bar stool or yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a chair with a low back to it. So I have to be, I have to have a brace up to sort of, oh, I don't know, I suppose where the bottom of your shoulder blades are. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I need to be supported up, up to that level. If I was, if as you are sitting down and you extend your arms away from you horizontally, if I did that, as my arms came out to stretch, I would simply fall forward. And that poses and the same a lot thing, of challenges if you're yeah. an archer, for instance. Yeah. But also the same thing why, is, um, if you're going to try and become a motorcycle racer as well, it's not a simple yeah. thing of just sticking you on a bike no. and saying, well, and, and, hand controls, off you go, mate. Yeah, and the same thing with if I if I put one arm out to the side. Yeah. As uh, as if I have my right arm sort of tucked against my chest, and I extend my left arm laterally out, as it I get to full stretch, I'll simply fall over to my left. Which so is obviously a problem being in, in archery. Yeah. Yes, because uh, apparently you, you you've got to use a bow. Um, <laughs> it's just part <laughs> of the rules. Otherwise, it's called javelin. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so that that was the injuries, um, and 
yeah, which obviously caused a few issues learning to ski because you actually need core and trunk muscles to control a sitting ski, a sit ski. Uh, so I had to develop a set of shoulder straps. So I simply w uh, learned to ski by shrugging my shoulders and causing tension through my strap system, which allowed me to turn left and right and not constantly fall over. I mean, I, I did fall over a lot. I was extremely good at falling over. I was extremely good at catching an edge and <laughs> what they call high siding. Yes, yes. Uh, so in there I, as well. <laughs> I, I will. I'm, I think I knocked myself out between twelve to twenty times. Eight, oh, yeah, yeah. Between. So I've been unconscious a lot. Um, you but, know, there was one time going, when, but you kept going all the same. Yeah, it was your I mean, your like, your goal, your dream. And yeah. you, you kept at it. Yeah. So then obviously with the motorcycle, um, I cannot shift weight on the motorbike. Um, I have an electronic gear shifting system. So on the handlebars, there's a red and green button uh, that operates an electronic solenoid with a little piston that comes out the bottom. And when you press the button, a piston either shoots down or, or it retracts. And that changes the gear as a left foot would normally change gear and then i have a, a thumb operated rear brake uh, so the left hand gets a bit busy uh, i have two people to launch me so the bike is on what they call a paddock stand and that holds the bike steady i get lifted onto the bike my feet are placed in old-fashioned bicycle toe clips with bits of velcro and that stops my feet falling off the pegs and then there are two straps that wrap around the front of my legs and they go onto the Velcro straps where a knee slider would be, and those stop my legs from flapping about. Uh, when I'm all strapped in, one person holds the front of the bike, uh, the other person takes the bike off the paddock stand, they then hold onto the rear of the bike, the person at the front moves to one side, I put the bike, obviously start it up, put it in first gear, and then just drive away, and hope that the two people are still there when I come back. And they haven't gone off for a cup of tea. <laughs> and this isn't an ordinary bike, is it? You're not going for a little, you know, Sunday morning kind of ride around the lane, <laughs> leisurely ride around the no. lanes, are you? That, this, no. I don't want to give the listeners the impression that you're just kind of tootling along on a little moped, um, just enjoying the scenery, because um, it's it's that's not what you're doing. You're no. act, you're actively racing um, in. Your own kind of um, there's a there's a separate racing class, but you also just race against other people, just the general field as yeah. well. And 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 these so, are kind of high level races on on you know championship circuits as well. Yeah. So the it, within the, so I fought for uh, total inclusion. Yeah. Uh, so here in the UK, initially had a few issues the acu the autocycle union they they said well look, we don't have paralyzed races we, we're not going to have any uh but then i sort of managed to persuade them and i got a license to do hill climbs and sprints and i did that for a year and then i finally got my license to compete against other people able-bodied riders and i had to start from pit lane and i was restricted on horsepower on what circuits i could do and i had to get everyone's permission and that has gradually gone by the wayside and now uh, having established a routeway, if someone is paralyzed and they want to become a motorcycle racer here in the UK, they can simply go to their club, get their race license and compete in any bike they wish to. So they can choose their class. 
So I now race in two classes. One is the 600s and one is the 1000s. So I race an R1 and an R6. The R1 has around about 200 horsepower. It's an absolute beast. Uh, It's incredible. (laughs) And I I mean, I, I find it hard to race it gives me a massive thrill and i i use the r1 more to do instruction so i now am an acu race instructor and i instruct able-bodied motorcycle racers how to be quicker motorcycle racers uh, and then i suppose i get more uh competitive when i'm racing in the 600 cc class so i race in the elite 600 and the elite thousands within my the club that i'm a member of which is bemzy now other countries have also started to allow disabled riders to get race licenses. However, in France, Spain, Italy, they will not allow them to compete against able-bodied. So they have to have a completely separate championship. Uh, and that means they can only race either a 600 or a 1,000. Um, and they're segregated, which sort of defeats all my objects of total inclusion. And once you're, you're racing, you're just another racer out there. Um, and, and certainly that's how I feel when I'm out there, you know, I completely forget about being paralyzed. I'm simply another motorcycle racer. However, on the other side of that, you know, the, uh, the three nations formed, uh, or came together for a certain number of races to form a world championship. Yeah. Uh, and I've been able to go and compete in that abroad. So I've been to Le Mans. I've raced, um, at MotoGP which was a, an incredible feeling. Awesome. Uh, awesome. One of the sport races at MotoGP, as well as World Superbikes at um, Magni Core. I've been to Mugello. Uh, I mean, some amazing tracks around the world, um, or mainly in Europe, I should say. Um, uh, Jerez as well. And uh, I've, I've, I've twice won the 600cc World Championship for Paralyzed Riders. Very um, cool, very cool. What, I'm, what, I'm getting, the, the, what I'm getting from you is... A love of sport, an absolute love of sport, a love of participating in sport, um, a love of competition. I mean, I could be wrong. This yeah. is just my. This is just me. <laughs> oh, um, a love of a love of competition. Um, a love of you know, kind of being being able to c- compete and, and participate on an equal level without kind of special treatment, and just a love of. Um, different different elements within sport because you you're obviously going i saw some pictures of you um sailing and then you've got the archery um there's the downhill skiing and the motorcycling and there the the downhill skiing the motorcycling are you know kind of adrenaline sports you know you're kind of on the edge whereas the archery and maybe the sailing and other other things you do are a complete contrast to that yeah. so that's what kind of what I'm what I'm getting here and when yeah. you when you um were in the 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 masters uh, championships you were on the line with everybody else there were no kind of special favors as it were you were competing nope. against everyone else uh yeah. you know with your disability shooting against able bodied archers and you came out on top and I'm just wondering how, you know, you've you've got this what seems to be an amazing ability to kind of see the positive, um, overcome the adversity, set goals, and they're all, you know, they're all vital things 
to to kind of becoming a, a champion in anything, and which which is ultimately what happened at the uh, at the at the UK um, Masters Championship. So transition for me into you know you've 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 done the big events, you've been in Olympic Paralympic events, you've been in you know uh, World Championships, and you've raced at Le Mans and Hareth and the big kind of GP circuits. And then you're kind of stepping back in a gear and coming down to uh, little Archery GB where we're all stood in a, on a rugby field <laughs> shooting <laughs> arrows at 50 metres. Um, a bit of a gear change. Um, so I just, I'm just i just interested in that transition and how you got into archery um, and, you know, how you find it as somebody, you know, with, uh, you know, kind of special needs to, to be able to, because retrieving arrows, you know, would be, probably difficult um so things things like that what 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 brought you into it so the part whilst i was at hospital uh at salisbury yeah part of your rehabilitation uh is the opportunity to participate in archery okay and once a week we used to have a lovely lady uh come along and 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 just allow us to shoot sort of 10 meters and it was it was something very different. I'd never done it before. Uh, and i and I really enjoyed it. i I felt sort of connected with a with a sport that you know as a as a Englishman, there's history there, definitely. You know? yeah. and and uh, you know, I enjoyed it, and i and I but i didn't I didn't pursue it um because I had this dream of going skiing. So that was my focus. Uh, then a, a number of years ago, I moved from where I was living in Bath. I moved to, to Ashstead, uh, which is near Epsom Racecourse. And uh, a cousin of mine came over from Australia and we were chatting and about the likes, the things that we had both enjoyed doing, even though we didn't really know each other until you know fairly recently um and we found out that we we both enjoyed doing a lot of the same things so motorbikes and skiing and and traveling and then he said oh archery and i was like oh yeah i really enjoyed doing archery and so i then started to search for uh some instruction of how how can i you know to to learn again uh and i found uh, carol edwards who was in bookham and she does traditional so a longbow uh, and I went along to her, um, and when I held the longbow in my arm, I, it, there was no weight to it. Yeah, and so when yeah, I yeah, obviously put my nice. arm out, and then with the anchor point that I was using, so I was shooting Mediterranean, and I was putting the the middle finger, the corner, the middle finger into the corner of my mouth, and it just so happens that the weight of my bent arm holding the string versus the left arm holding the bow meant I was just about in equilibrium. Weirdly, as soon as I went to shoot uh, sort of a recurve style and putting my my uh, hand under my chin to and then sort of kissing the string, I started to fall forwards. It's it's very uh, so heavy, isn't it? Have, trying it, to have that bow out there. Yeah, and it's and it, honestly, it was that amount. Even with the even with um the longbow just moving my hand from the corner of my mouth to under my chin is enough to tip me 
Yeah, yeah. So it was such a fine balance. And so I started to do traditional um, and learning with her. And then I joined Epsom. Uh, well, I say at, shooting at the Epsom race course are the Surrey Bowmen. Uh, and I was able to join the club there. And I kept on shooting the longbow. And then, you know, you think, well, that's it. I'm just going to shoot one bow. Um, but as every archer knows that the number of bows you need is N plus one, where <laughs> yeah, N, yeah, the number yeah. you already have. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so then I ended up, oh, and now I've got, oh my goodness, now I've got three, I've got three long bows. I've got three horse bows. I've got, I've got a couple of recurves. And, and, and anyway, so. I you're making up... me feel you're making me feel better now because I'm sat here. Yeah, I've got, yeah, so, I've got yes, two next to uh, two next to me. I've got another two in the front room. <laughs> I've got limbs yeah. everywhere. So, <laughs> yeah, so it all went a bit silly, uh, and I started buying stuff. And then, anyway, it all calmed down again, and and then I sort of really started thinking. Well, as I was practicing, and I, f- I was finding some really difficult. So I found week of really hard work. I was just constantly falling forwards. Uh, constantly fall and and no matter what sort of strapping or way i tried to support my body i i was always unstable and that instability meant that i was sort of wobbling and i and i i really had a hard time trying to be consistent and with it, my accuracy and it affects your confidence as well so you know yeah. if you if you're yeah. thinking oh, am i going to fall over this time or th- there's yeah. that thought there you know it's it's hard enough um trying to shoot without that additional stress isn't it yeah but i'm also quite competitive and i demand i demand myself to be good and <laughs> no pressure then uh, and 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 i found that with the obviously the traditional even a slight change in the uh in the wood of the arrow that you've got you know it it, it makes it shoot in a slightly different way so i wanted the consistency of accuracy of modern material but shooting in the older style because i enjoyed not having any sights i enjoyed yeah, that yeah, yeah. demand upon you and then that's how i ended up with the bare bow and and so really it seems to have yeah, worked really out. it's been since uh last year last year's when i really started to focus my efforts on bare bow and then when we had lockdown i'm really fortunate that i've got a, a garden and it's about 17 meters and i built this giant frame with some help uh and put a foam target in it and then i've got a 10 foot high um uh, netting out the back to stop any errant arrows uh and, I, and i've and i've just practiced and practiced and practiced um, because it's it's good for me. It, it made me do stuff, and I find that whilst I'm shooting, I can clear my mind. And you know, there's always there's lots of pro- lots of things uh, that have been affecting everybody. The yeah, pandemic yeah, yeah. has caused stress. It has caused anxiety, um, worry, uh, and so many things. And I found that by shooting. I was able just to 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 free my mind from it, to get it into a, a sort of a state of of being total mindful, of basically of being mindful of the here and now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 that's really important that we you know we focus on 
where we are because you can't do anything about the past. Yeah. You know, no yeah. matter how much you turn back the clock, you can't. And and therefore I also realized and I and I found this out from my own life is that if you you can be you you are the person that chooses how you are affected by your past. So I'm paralyzed. Now I could choose to be the victim and I could choose to be bitter and angry and frustrated at that. Or I can choose that I have to, I, I accept it, that it has happened. And, you know, no matter how I feel, I'm still going to be in a wheelchair. It's not going to change. So now what am I going to do whilst I'm in the wheelchair, in the here and now? Am I going to be an angry and bitter person? Well, well, that just is this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy of being angry and bitter and you'll push people away from you. Yeah. Or do I, you know, think positively and think, right, well, let's see what, what, what can I do? And what opportunities are to have a good life, to be happy, to to smile, to laugh, to love, you know, all the things that are out there that are, are available to you if you choose it. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've chosen to uh, meet life's challenges as opportunities. You know, I always learn from the past. Um, you know, you don't just ignore the past and repeat the same mistakes. You you can learn from it, but you can't live in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I try to see what lessons I can take from every single opportunity that is presented to me. You know, I always try and find one positive thing. You know, uh, you know, when I crashed a motorbike, you know, you know, I'll say, right, well, I've learned a way of not doing it. Yeah, you've got, you know, you've got to learn yeah. the lesson, haven't or, you? Otherwise, you just keep repeating that, it. Yeah, I learned that, you know, the positive I take away is that that helmet really does work. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, so, unfortunately, you know, I've been, I, I've found that out as well. Um, yeah, so and, there's yeah. always something that you can learn. Um, you know, hopefully the lessons that, you know, your listeners aren't as extreme as that. Uh, but you, you can take a positive away. And if you always take a positive away, then you'll you'll be thinking positive and and then that in itself becomes self-perpetuating you know and it's amazing that good things always seem to happen to good people in a good frame of mind yeah uh, yeah definitely you attract uh, uh, you attract more positivity yeah. if you're positive you make and you make your own luck which yeah, is sort of yeah. all this positiveness that that's around you and and yeah and and so i started practicing the archery and, uh, and focusing on the bare bow uh and uh and sort of looking forward to a time when we were allowed to shoot with other people and shoot distances longer than 17 meters. <laughs> and then uh, sort of I submitted a few scores uh, of 50 meters to the county archery. Yeah. They then selected me uh, for an inter-county championships, and I went along to that, and uh, I shot about a 580 Five, I think. Good, um, good score. And and I felt, and I felt, I felt, you know what? I, I I didn't embarrass myself. My first ever competition, and then a week later, it was the uh, the, the national masters age competition, and uh, I, I 
put in an entry, but I wasn't sure if I was going to get it because of the various restrictions. And, yeah, and lucky yeah. enough, um, you know, the, the restrictions were reduced and, and I was able to go along. And I thought, well, I'm, just, I'm going to do this for experience um, because you can only get better if you also not, it's not just shooting, but shooting under competitive environment. Uh, it was like skiing. You can train and you can go through the training runs, but until you do it with the same mental pressure as a competition, you, you still aren't sure how you're going to perform. So I thought, well, look, I've practiced. I'm not going to embarrass myself. What I now need to do is to see if I can perform under the conditions of a competition. Uh, and yeah, I went along with no massive expectations uh, to the competition other than to learn, to soak up uh, what I could uh, from those that I'd be shooting with, uh, uh, to learn from them, uh, and also to enjoy the day uh, and enjoy being you know, out and about and shooting with like-minded souls. And uh, it turns out that I, I, I shot fairly well. <laughs> you uh, shot, you shot really well, really well. Um, what, what was, was your score in the was end it, from the qualification? Uh, so, obviously, Richard's record is six hundred and seven. And when we came, and I was, and I, I sort of like, oh, I'm, I'm getting close to it. And then, it, then it rained. Uh, yeah, it was, last, it was, it was a, hour. it was a weird day, wasn't it? It was windy, and then, the, then it rained, and it, then it went windy again. Then the sun came out. Yeah, <laughs> it's all over. And so, I had, a, I had a massive dip as did others. I'm not saying I was the only person that dipped, but others also dipped. Um, and I ended up with a 605. Brilliant. Brilliant. So that wasn't too bad for my second ever competition. Nope, not at all. Uh, not at all. I, uh, I thought it was a, uh, I thought it was a great achievement. Um, you know, 605 second competition ever. And it's a national competition as well. It's not a, it's not a club shoe. It's not just a regional shoe. It's not a, you know, um, just a, a kind of county qualifier or anything like that. It was a, you know, it was a full line, uh, world record status competition. I mean, I don't know how many, how, how many people do you think were there? Maybe over a hundred, one hundred and thirty, or something like that. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. Yeah, you know, it, it seems to take quite a long time. Oh, it way. did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, but, I was but then back there was on like the, the countdown clock was there as well, and so it was like the timer. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Oh, oh, we did because uh, the previous week, my first competition, we didn't have the timer. Uh, whereas I was like, oh gosh, look, timer there, right? I've got to pay attention to that. Um, and it's yeah. all new and stuff I, uh, as well. It's all new, new yeah. sensations, new stimuluses, stimuli it's, that are kind of coming in they, and adding to the competition pressure. Yeah, and I was fortunate that the you know the the hosts put gave me an agent, um, and that, and my agent was able to go and uh, retrieve my arrows and and help out with the, with the scoring. Um, yeah, uh, and then it came. Then there, there was this whole thing of elimination, I, and I didn't even expect that. <laughs> I, I, I was so so new. I was like, "Well, oh, well, that's it. Uh, job done. After lunchtime, I'll go home." And like, right, go and have a uh, pint. So, no, for, for those of you that uh, right now, we're going to explain the elimination. I was like, what, what, "What's going on now?" Uh, so then, yes, learning about elimination, and um, I suppose I was three arrows. Uh, you know, uh, 
winning score of those three arrows gets the two points. If you draw, you get one, and if you if you if you lose, you get zero. And it's first boy first out of the pairing to get to six points. Uh, and um, I started off uh, abysmally, really, um, and uh, went two 0 down straight away in my first elimination. I thought, oh, I've, I've really got to pull my finger out. Uh, I'm not shooting very well. And it was just, it's amazing how, you know, I've, I finished shooting, uh, or I've been used to just shooting six arrows and shooting ends, not this whole elimination. So this was a whole new sort of mental state I had to get myself into. Um and and that was a, a massive eye opener. And you know, I, I was, yes, I was extremely fortunate that I suppose I was seeded first, um, which meant that I was initially shooting against some of the the weaker or lower scoring archers because otherwise I'd, I'd have gone out in the first elimination round. Um, it, it just it the transition between the two sort of types of competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never done before. Yeah. And so therefore it, it does really require a different focus. Uh and um you know, and I and I learned a massive amount in a very short space of time. Um and so I was able to, you know uh, yeah, to get through all the elimination rounds and then then ended up in the in the final. And and I think once I was in the final, then weirdly all the pressure left me because I thought, well, yeah, even if I lose, yeah, I'm here now. Got a silver, I made it to the final. I relaxed a great deal and and shot significantly better. Yeah, you know, managed. I think my last six arrows were all uh, were all in the gold. Um, cool, excellent, excellent. It was a, a great way to finish because then I felt like I I won the final rather than you know if someone makes a, a big error and, and you win sort of by them making a mistake rather than you winning because you shot well I yeah, suppose yeah that's that's, that's, a, I, that's I a big to do. Thing, I wanted to yeah. I wanted to win because you know I think my last six arrows was x 10 9 then 999 nine, nine. I thought well yeah I, I feel like I should, I deserve to win yeah you put in a shift there <laughs> definitely definitely yeah. um just I mean with that kind of gear change going from, you know, the qualifying where, you know, you, yeah, you've got the pressure of the timer to a certain extent, but the time is, is pretty generous on the whole. Um, but then having a time pressure to shoot your three arrows and it's against somebody else. How, what, what, what kind of shift in it, it kind of gear changes did you need to go through mentally? Would it, do you have a, a shot process and a mental process? Um, and you know obviously during lockdown you're shooting in your in your you know other countries there's there's listeners we get listeners all over the world and some places will have been in lockdown other places won't and for for kind of informational purposes in the uk for about three months we basically were under some kind of house arrest where we could kind of go to the shop uh, and maybe go out for exercise for you know once a day but that was it so people had a lot of time to spend at home and it sounded like you used that time wisely uh, and did you kind of work on your form did you know what to work on what things you needed to improve and did you kind of think actually based on all of the other sports competitive sports that I've done I need some kind of mental game and mental process something to get me through in competition yeah I mean a lot of the time I spent on just sorting out what 
bow I wanted to shoot. So I wasn't sure if I wanted to shoot a heavier bow or a lighter bow and what sort of limbs I wanted to shoot uh, and what sort of arrow. And so a lot of it was more about getting the right bare bow set up for me. Yeah, and yeah not, for your needs, yeah. Not, you, can, you can read reviews and you can re- read what other people do, but ultimately you've got to do what's right for you. Um, so I now use a fiber bow, which is effectively one of the, one of the lightest bows that you can get. Um, and I have very limited weight on it at all. Uh, and I don't use a finger sling. Um, and I use a set of carbon fiber Ucker limbs, uh, because again, they're very lightweight. Yeah. They are. Uh, and, and I use this and they're long. So I use this, uh, it's a 70 inch, um, overall, and 42 pounds and i found that that worked best for me i tried shorter limbs of different bows and i had heavier bows and i tried different weights and different things like that but eventually i found out that for me that is the best sort of uh different bits of equipment that work and gel with myself and my style of shooting yeah that is important people, isn't it it's important that you find other, something other you have with so it's great to to read and to seek advice, which I did, but ultimately you just have to shoot arrow after arrow after arrow to see what works best in your hand. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the most important thing, that you feel comfortable and therefore when you're comfortable, you can be consistent. Because I was finding that, yeah, I would shoot well with some setups, but there would be a great number of errors and it's trying to reduce the number of errors so that your consistency increases and then your overall score will get better because your score is always brought down by that one that disappears off into the you know <laughs> in, in, yeah. into the wilds <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 or the green or wherever you're like oh what? Why, yeah. why did i do that <laughs> um and, just, just and, interesting. What, what arrow did you, you, you settle on for, um, um, for that, for that setup? So I've, I've set up um, with a set of ACEs. Yeah, yeah. And I've actually gone for the, um, the Brady Ellison uh, gold spin wings. Um, Very posh. And, and I've tried, I've tried, I tried ACCs, but I also tried ACEs with like five inch feathers or two inch feathers and i you know i was messing around with all different types of length of fletching and uh, length of arrow and weight of arrow and i even tried some fmjs oh yeah that was yeah, a yeah. disaster because <laughs> I, I i ordered the wrong one <laughs> i thought oh maybe a slightly heavier arrow might not get deflected as much and then i ordered i I should have tried someone else's first, but you know, I'm I'm just I'm too impatient. Uh, and I ordered these FMJs, and they're five mil ones, and they came and they weighed it. They weigh about a quarter of a ton each. And, <laughs> yeah. I, and they went out. They went out. They, they barely cleared my foot when I shot them. They were, <laughs> was like, oh, that was really stupid. However, however, I've now chopped them down, and at eighteen meters, they I really like them. So yeah, I'm, yeah, I've, they definitely work. I've for now that. got. Yeah a really nice heavy uh fmj with a nice five inch feather on it 
and they're pretty good at short distance. So those are my short distance. But for you know anything longer than 18 meters, then I, I'll go with the ACEs. I find that you know that it it works well with everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and so what, what? What? But but as far as the mindset, I got used to from from the uh demands of skiing where you are sat there waiting to go down your you waiting in turn to do your competition run you have to be able to take yourself from i'm sat here a bib number 120 you know and 119's gone through right now i have to get my mind into full race mode so you have a a set number of things that you do to get yourself ready to perform and i can use that when i'm sat on the line to be mentally relaxed whilst you know people are collecting arrows uh, and we're waiting for the the buzzer to sound and during that sort of 10 seconds of the first buzzer going and the second for you to shoot i can shut my eyes I can take myself to a place and when I open my eyes, I can be ready to shoot. However, that's all right when it's six arrows and it's doing ends. When I have this entirely new experience of shooting against someone else, what I found is that my attention was a bit confused and I was focusing more on what they were shooting rather than the my own processes. Right, right. And I think that in the final, when I stopped worrying about what the other person was doing and I just focused on my own performance and my own shot process and the, you know, what I need to do, then I shot much better. And I went back to how I should be shooting rather than scrapping my way through and worrying about the other person. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose that, you know, that's learning that when you come into an elimination round, you, you should treat it just as the same as what you were doing before. Before it was an elimination round, you, if you focus entirely on your processes of your, you know, your breathing, the mental focus, where are you looking, uh, and, and all the other myriad of things that you have to do in order to get to, well, to, to release the arrow for an accurate shot, um, and, and, you know, I'm sure the list would go on and on and on. And um, uh, we're not gonna, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is is the focus has to be on you, your processes, and the result will happen at the at the target. Yeah. I mean, you can only control yourself and you can't exactly. control everything about yourself. But that's the only thing that's kind of in your control, the weather, what what the other people are doing. That's. That's for somebody. That's for the birds. You can't do anything about that. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Interesting that you kind of even in the competition environment, because you're you you're obviously um, a very um, experienced competitor, and you've brought all of that to the archery the archery line as well. Yeah, and you know that's that's the fortunate thing for me in being able to. Um, mentally be able to sort of turn myself off from compete compete from 
total focus yeah. uh, in the periods of time where you don't need to be because there is no way uh, you can remain at 100% focus level for the entire day. It's not, it's not possible. And I guess that as people get more exhausted, um, that's when they, a lot of people say might, might shoot worse towards the latter part of their 72 arrows. Um, so it's being able to take yourself back down and then bring yourself back up again. Uh, and through the years of skiing and having to be able to bring myself from sort of rest level to perform at 70, 80 miles an hour through a downhill course, um, you have techniques on how to do that, you know, and, and one of them is, uh, you know, when I, when, when I shut my eyes uh, and I think about my breathing and I try to breathe nice and deep and to fill up my lungs. And then I also try to think about when was, or, or how I felt when I shot the best because then it puts you in a positive sort of bubble, you know, and, and so that is already helping you. So you're creating this positivity that you're going to be surrounded by. Yeah, and you're uh, you're putting the, an image into your your mind that you've already made a good shot. Um, yeah. So you've already got it, it, your mind thinks, well, I've already got one in the bank. I've just shot yeah. a really good shot. So, you know, I'll just do that again. And that, and that yeah. when you were saying about that you close your eyes and you really kind of consciously focused on your breathing, that was kind of, for me, that kind of resonates in terms of you're, you're, you're bringing yourself into the present. You're not kind of going off into the future. You're not disappearing off into the past. And that what there's, there's like a there's like a little saying, um, you know, to try and bring yourself back from your mind wandering is like you just have a, a thought and it's kind of a, it breaks a, a pattern of thought and you kind of you need to say um what time is it it's now yeah where am i yeah i'm here i'm not you know i'm not at, you know i'm not at work i'm not think i'm not involved in an argument with the, with somebody in the shop last week I'm here and I'm here now. So, yeah, I, I, that's really interesting. Really, really interesting. Can we dig yeah. a little bit and deeper on that? Because cause yeah, we... it's kind of vital. I think it's vital information that, you know, kind of someone of your experience uh, competing at the levels that you do, it's kind of, I, I think having that calmness and that, you know, mental um, calm to rely on it is absolutely key in terms of competition you know you can be the biggest backyard hero in the world you can shoot you know a, a 50 meter 720 and shoot 600 700 points as, as a bare bow in your backyard but it's doing it on the line when the, the yeah. buzzers go once the buzzer's gone and there's a hundred other people stood next to you and god knows how many how many other people watching you that's when it all that's when that score counts so I, i'm really interested just to to dig deep into that if we've got the time to do that yeah i mean one of the one of the things you like to say is about mindfulness and being present and we you know we both agree on that one of the other things is sort of when people talk about self-talk yeah uh, and and telling yourself what you need to be doing now if you try to tell yourself 
what you need to do in order to shoot well, you'd still be doing your self-taught when a buzzer sounds sounds to say, well, that's it, no more shooting. You, you, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, That's how long, because there is so much that you need to do. You know, and there, it, it's, it is such a complex action for what appears to many people to be something fairly simple. Well, you just put your arm out and you pull back and you let go. Well, it, it, as as people that you know that shoot, it is so much more. Yeah. So what I do when I have, uh, you know, with the, within the skiing with other sports is I create a magic word. Okay, and I put this magic word in the middle of a of a sheet of paper, blank sheet of paper, and I write down my magic word, and it's got to be personal to the individual. Okay, and my magic word is actually two words, and it's badger power. I know that, that sounds really weird, right? But you might have to explain that to uh, us, <laughs> right? So it just happened to be that whenever we did our training in Austria for skiing, every hotel I went and stayed in outside my room would be a stuffed badger. Because they've all got these stuffed animals everywhere, you know, yeah. in these old guest houses and pensions. Not, and, not in the Premier so, Inn, though. Not in the Premier Inn. No, not, not in the Premier Inn. There's no, no stuffed animals out here. No, <laughs> but you know, there's, there's, you know, goats and all sorts of various things. Yet my room always had this a stuffed badger at it, and um, so it got to the point where you know myself and my my ski buddy we would sort of you'd stroke the nose of the badger for good luck in the morning. And then it became a standing joke of badger power. So then you would write, I'd write badger, I'd write badger power down as this magic word right, in the middle. And then off of it, you draw like little spider's legs. And then at the end of each spider's legs, you would write one of the attributes or processes that you need to do in order to perform at your maximum. And this sort of, spider diagram is constantly being worked on you can constantly add to it you can constantly refine it and it becomes this sort of crazy sort of drawing with everything on it that you know you need to do in order to shoot well but it is activated by one word or for me two words so it's a shortened way of giving you that full self-talk on how to shoot accurately and consistently. And so I've got my diagram, you know, and I've got badge power in the middle and I've written everything all around the outside. And so every time I shut my eyes, I do my breaths. I take myself to that happy place where, you know, I've shot the best I've ever shot. So I have that feeling, that feeling of confidence, of positivity. And then I repeat badger power to myself. And that sort of activates all of the self-talk that I need to give myself. So that's a trigger then. It's a trigger for that self-talk without, and it's abbreviated yeah. form so you can get it done as quickly as you need to do it. And that's why I can do it between the two buzzers. 
That's awesome. It's awesome. It's a really because then you can cool also thing. take yourself back because you can take yourself from you know being relaxed, which is what you need to do in between the two, because otherwise you're using up energy, energy. lots of energy. Yeah, and if you're and if you're and 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 tension, and if you if you've got tension in your body and or in your mind when you approach the shooting line, you pack up your bags, go home. You, you, you're never going to get through. Yeah, that's that was me. <laughs> You must have seen me then. <laughs> no, so you can stay relaxed. You can do the. You can you know you can do whatever you want to do, and know that you're not going to perform poorly on the line, because as you approach it, you go through this kickstart to get you from, you know, level zero up to maximum level to perform in a very short space of time. However, you have to practice this because it just doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. You yeah. know, and obviously I, you know, a, a 10 years or so of uh, performing uh, within the ski environment in order to take it from say like a 15 or 20 minute process down to a process that was just a matter of seconds. But that, I had to learn it. Yeah. And, it, and it's something that people, you can work but the good thing is, is you can work on it at night. Yeah. You yeah. can work on it when you're not shooting. You can work on it anytime you want. You can work on it when you're driving your car. Yeah. And you know, I had a conversation the other day. Um, we did um, a, a podcast with uh, Adam Coming from Archery Mental Mastery. Uh, and he said, you know, the mental game's just like the physical game. You know, your brain's just like a muscle. You know, if you don't exercise it, if you don't practice, then you lose you, all the gains that you've made. You can lose that over time. So, yeah. you know, with you, like you saying there, you know, you've 10 years of, and it started out as a 15 minute kind of process. But over the years of with the practice, you've brought that down to a matter of seconds. Um, but you continue to do it and you've continued, obviously, to refine it and the practice of it practice perfect practice makes perfect you know you you've yeah. really worked on it um and that's i'm, I'm just as my example that 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 was a, an issue for me is where i had some um injuries basically kind of overuse injuries too much training too much um too many carrying too many injuries from work and i stopped archery for six months so that i could take treatment and then when i came back i focused entirely on the um physical side of archery and i completely neglected the mental side of archery which during the time that i was doing the 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 rehab for the injuries i could like you said i could have been doing the mental game the mental side getting my processes all that kind of stuff and that was probably yeah. six months wasted where I could have just been practicing in my mind and, and getting a, a system that sets you up to shoot and brings you into the right frame of mind, brings you into the present, makes you more mindful. And at the same time as well, it's, it's a consistent thing that you do. So you have mental consistency as well as the physical shot consistency. So yeah. I, I think for me, I'm although... Once I'd kind of been through the rehab, my form was so much better. My strength was so much better. I didn't get injured as easy. Um, that was great. But I think I really fell down 
at that stage with that and and, and you're just kind of reinforcing that to me now is that it's <laughs> well, very I, I, very I it's very, it in, but... <laughs> it's very very important because then you know at the top uh, level the everyone's kind of physical skill in archery is is kind of the same everyone trains you know the right amount they eat the right amount of things but you see people who falter because they kind of lose confidence and they lose belief in themselves and they throw a bad shot and they never recover. And it's the mental yeah. side of it that, that that's what takes over there. And, and and this is where the magic word will come in when you have that bad shot and it's how to recover from it. And, you know, and, and, and I did throw some bad shots in there uh, during my 605. But as soon as I did it, I sort of, once again, I shut my eyes, I focused on my breathing rather and repeated my magic word to myself so that I wouldn't be focusing on the four that I had just shot, you know, and then I was able to recover enough so that I kept the average up. Um, And it is very easy to follow one poor shot with another and another as you get more and more frustrated and as you become mentally frustrated you will sub you will you will start to become tense um and then you it will, it will just make things worse and you'll compound it uh and then one big bad end and and you know in in a lot of competitions i would well, i can't really <laughs> From results that I've seen, rather than from actual competitions that I've been in, because I've only been in two, um, <laughs> still I, amazing. You know, <laughs> I, I can't. Uh, that um, that you know, it 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 wouldn't take a lot to to drop a long way. Yeah, in, yeah, in ranking. Um, you know, I've looked at previous um, records of of or previous results, I should say, of, of competitions. Um, because I only, I mean, I only started to enter competitions when I knew I wasn't going to effectively be, you know, embarrassing myself. Um, <laughs> I, mainly because, um, you know, I would be a, a wheelchair archer amongst able-bodied. Yeah. And so you, you do sort of stand out. Yeah. And I yeah, didn't yeah. want to, I didn't want to let myself down and give a bad name, you know, for a lot of very, very competent disabled archers that are out there yeah uh and I sort of and i'm you know also i wasn't just going to be there to make up the numbers yeah, i wanted yeah. to yeah yeah mm. uh, you know uh, i wanted to represent myself with you know with my head held high um and uh, you know but i didn't need to i suppose because i had done so much competition in other areas of uh, uh you know of sport that i i didn't need to expose myself to lots and lots and lots of competition. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah, I'd already, yeah. I'd already had that mental skill training, um, so I thought I could, you know, I would wait until my actual scores were, were, you know, half half presentable. Yeah, and just following on from that, um, I remember listening to um, a podcast where it said, you know, as well as exercising your physical muscles. Um, you need to exercise your competition muscles. You need to put yourself, like you were saying earlier, under that pressure, in that spotlight. Yeah. Be there with the timer. And you need to do that over and over again till 
whatever level of anxiety you've got or nerves, whatever you want to call it, that just isn't it isn't part of the equation. Yeah, that that really and affects you. And also, um, you know, people talk about CBT uh, and the way that you see challenges or the way that you see uh, opportunities. So for me, every time I go to competition, I see it as a way to improve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I see it. I'm like, I'm going to competition and it will make me better by being at the competition, not I have to perform well at the competition. Yeah, yeah. I, I discussed something similar with Adam from the uh, from the last podcast. Um, there was a kind of a, a technique that a combat technique that um, that this guy was a colonel in the army had had used as part of his training for combat troops. And the first one was to breathe, obviously, um, but people get tense, like you were saying, and they stop breathing. They start shallow breathing. And then that has an effect on the body and, you know, you, it starts oh, yeah. to produce chemicals in the body that then affect the brain. And that's kind of a downward spiral because you, you retreat into a, you know, a state where you're kind of on autopilot and you're not really making decisions. So he was like yeah. breathing, you know, four seconds in, four seconds out, pause for two and repeat. And then the next stage was this CRT, which is, is it a challenge? Is this situation a challenge? Or is it a threat? And you need to make yeah. that distinction because a lot of people go into, um, you know, in everyday situations, never mind competitions, they go into it with internally the perception that it's they're in a threat situation and they don't react well in that situation where, like you're saying, you know, you're going in thinking, this is an experience for me where I can learn something. The competitions are a learning experience. And it, winning or losing, you know, if you're not taking it, not taking anything away from it in terms of a learning experience, then you're kind of missing out on, on a big part of what being yeah. in a competition and doing sport is. Um, it just That's just my opinion. That You know, um, I, I went into my last competition with more of a focus on following a process having more concentration and it resulted in a a good result for me um whereas i've been in other competitions and i've kind of i've kind of been there to you know to win or to to do well but that's not really a goal i don't think um because you can't control that because if somebody shoots really really well or yeah it's really really windy or it's really really rainy or you know you have equipment failure or something like that they're not in your control. So, you know, if you go in there with a plan, it's obviously, you know, and, a, and a, an openness to learn, then, you know, it's always going to be a win-win situation. Yeah. And one of the things you just said there, openness, is um, with your goals, you can have closed goals, which you say, well, I must shoot a 600. Yeah. Or you have open goals, which is... Uh, I must focus on my uh, follow through. Yeah, 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 yeah. That doesn't actually give you a score. So often going into competitions with an open goal of, well, I'm coming here to learn. And what I want to do is to make sure that throughout the entire competition, my release is 
how I've been practicing or, you know, or, or one other aspect, which isn't um, a, a, a numerical point that you need to score. Yeah, which is obviously closed. It's it's more uh, open. And, and therefore, if you achieve that and, you know, everything else goes your way, you, you could end up winning. Yeah, yeah. But if you achieve it and you don't win, you have still achieved it and you have been successful in reaching a goal. Therefore, you feel uh, pleased, you feel confident, uh, you feel motivated, and you want to go on to the next level. Uh, whereas sometimes if you always set yourself closed goals and you don't achieve them, you never feel that you are making progress forwards. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's balancing it out. That's not to say that you should never ever set yourself a closed goal, uh, and it should only have open goals. So, you know, it's it's about uh, adjusting it um, accordingly uh, and just being, you know, open to open goals, and you know, uh, not just following blindly down one path. That's excellent advice. Have you got any goals for the future with uh, archery? Because it sounds like you've got yourself a killer. 18 meter setup and maybe people should be worried <laughs> at the barebow wow. indoor championship no. if that goes on <laughs> no I, I just you know i just i just enjoy it you know uh, and so the things that i would like to do is to to meet more people yeah uh, doing barebow to to what would be great is if um you know disabled archery uh, started to include it in some of their you know um competitions because at the moment it just seems to be uh recurve and compound yeah yeah um we had so the, um jens fudge um on quite a long time ago now because we took a sabbatical during covid because obviously there wasn't a lot going on and there wasn't a lot to kind of say or do because nobody was doing archery except at home yeah. uh he was um gold medalist at the 1992 barcelona paralympics um, he was telling us all about that experience, but as you say, it's only uh, for recurve. And then with the Commonwealth, I don't know whether they do um, uh, a separate games or an inclusive games, but they've started no. to. There's there may there may be openings in other types of competitions. Yeah. But yeah, it would be great to have it included. Um, you know, I don't, there's no there there aren't any for me because i i'm i'm obviously obviously biased there aren't compelling reasons for it not to be um but as the kind of you know the, Deep, the gears and me, wheels of politics turn that's uh that's a decision that somebody else is yeah. making it's 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 a more for me i think it's more inclusive because of a, a number of disabled archers that will have problems with balance you yeah. know like myself and high level paraplegics well you know, if you, I mean, how heavy are some of those compounds? Oh my word! You know, yeah. when you put everything on it, I, I can't even, I can't hold them. Yeah. I just fall out my chair. Yeah. Uh, and the same with the recurve, with the, you know, with the the weights and everything. I just, I just found it too difficult. Um, whereas the bare bow, you know, it, it allows greater degree of success and enjoyment. I'd also quite like to um, have a go at some field archery. Um, yeah, yeah, it's one of my passions. Bebo, one of my passions that. But you know, a lot of the um, competitions uh, are are in 
well, they're not really very accessible to get around. Not even for, um, not for me. And Saturday, yeah. Sunday, sorry, I, we we were wiped out by the by the end of the course. There were people that had had enough and had gone home halfway round because it was so kind of steep and hilly. And to be fair, yeah. that, I mean that is part of the challenge. But obviously, there are courses that uh, um, that I know of that are based on pretty flat terrain and it isn't you know outside the realm and it's it's an idea that i've had in the past that isn't outside the realm of possibility that there could be you know maybe some targets available with on paths that are you know wheelchair accessible Um, yeah so it's not it's not impossible um yeah uh it's not saying that the targets have to be accessible, but no. just as long as the yeah the the route to around the, to the peg yeah uh, yeah to the pegs are, and then you know it's also to try and inc- to say to people you know what you don't you you don't just have to go and shoot against disabled archers if you're disabled yeah just join in any competition because we're all archers together and and making it you know making everyone realise just how inclusive our sport is. Yeah, you know, and that, yeah. that's one of the great things of it, you know. Yeah. And you know, uh, at the competition, the the National Masters Age, uh, there were you know a, a small handful of us who were shooting from chairs or you know um, you know had restricted uh, mobility, and and it, it's we're just it's just inclusive, and everyone is very helpful, uh, and and you know will will assist you, and that's what sort of you're not you're not being pushed to one side and yeah. excluded um you know the the uh, the organizing staff that you know couldn't you know they really helped and i and i was extremely grateful to to, to everyone um that did organize it uh of, of making you feel uh so extremely welcome uh and that and that was a great thing and also the toilets were accessible which was another yeah the, brucey bonus yeah exactly as it, yeah, were, it was great you know, yeah that, that 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 was nice. Yeah, um, I, I, I just then, need to give a big shout out to the club that I'm in. It's called Cleedon Archers, which is based up in the, the northeast of England. Um, we we got um, because there are very few facilities for disabled archers. Um, quite a lot of the facilities, the fields, aren't you know, especially in winter months, they're not the best place to be in a wheelchair with skinny wheels on because you will be stuck there for a while as you kind of sink down in the in the ground on a yeah. on a muddy school playing field. So the club that I'm in we got some funding from Sport England to upgrade the facilities and we we got um paths made that were um you know wheelchair friendly so it was a hard compacted kind of cinder cinder path um and then we got the shooting line was tarmacked from one end to the other so we have maybe 15 20 shooting lanes that are completely accessible from the car park with with disabled parking right outside yeah. the venue so you don't you don't have to park in a car park and then you know negotiate paths and stuff like that you park right outside the field you come through the gate down the cinder paths and it's all kind of hard standing onto the tarmacked shooting line and as long as there's somebody around that can go and retrieve arrows for you, you know, absolutely brilliant. There's a disabled access yeah. to eco toilet there. And and they've really um, kind of pushed the boat out to make sure. And we, what part of the, 
the team that kind of consulted on it, we got um, some. I think they were GB um, uh, archers from the from the para team, uh, and they came up and said, "Look, you need to do this. You need to do that." And it was with, you know, with their kind of advice and kind of guidance that we got it um, built as the way for the way it was to to allow everyone to kind of come along. Yeah. Because often it's it's not the competition that would put people off; it's the access. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, I'm sure to say, Archer would love to compete with everyone else, but often when they look at the logistics of how they're going to manage it, it's sometimes it's just really difficult. And I and I last last year or the year before, I went to even begin to look at entering a, a competition, and I made inquiries as to you know, what was going to happen when I was there and facilities and was told that, you know, there weren't going to be disabled toilets and, you know, there wasn't going to be anyone to do this, that and the other. And I was like, well, well I'm not coming that's then. That's not, that's not good, so I mean, good, is it? Pushing my wheelchair across the grass is really hard work. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And, yeah. and, uh, and I have tried it. You know, it's not like I just immediately expected other people to go and do it for me. Um I did. I did start off trying to push backwards and forwards. You know the the distance to collect. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's really, it, it, and you can often fall out of your wheelchair because the little tiny front wheels, if they dig into the into the earth, the soil, the grass, whatever, you, you can just go straight over the front and out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then then you get to the boss. And you're like, oh, I can't reach the arrow anyway because it's <laughs> yeah. it's too high. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, mm, well, I can't. I'm like, I can't pull it out because I don't because I don't have any stomach muscles. Like you know, I can barely pull the arrow out anyway. So I was like, well, I'm I'm just down here as a spectator. And that's that's sad. That's really sad. Um, and you know, I I, I admire the, all the clubs that you know put on facilities and they do think about it. Um, oh but yeah. Clearly, there there are others that it's kind of well, it's too much hassle. Yeah. Well, they're working towards. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. As a school report would say, working towards yeah. inclusion. Yeah, yeah. Must, um, must try harder. Are, <laughs> yeah, but as you say, there are lots that do, and it's great to see that there is that um, commitment to to being as inclusive as possible, and you know, allowing everyone the equal opportunities. And that's what people want. You know, that's all I want is a, the equal opportunity that everyone else gets. Yeah, yeah, of course, and and obviously to win. Yeah, and obviously to win as well and beat everyone. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Th- thanks for reminding Maybe. me. <laughs> it's been excellent having you on. Uh, it's been a real education, um, and it's a privilege as well to have you on. Um, it was a privilege well, well, to to shoot in the same conditions. We all had the same conditions. Nobody was spared yeah. any of that. You know, the kind of the sun, and then the then the wind, and then the light rain, and then the wind, and then the sun, and then the heavy rain. Um, yeah, everyone yeah. had that. So. Uh, it was. It's been a privilege to talk to you tonight, and I hope um, you know people listen to this and they kind of think about you know having more events that are accessible uh, and and people that you know they might have a friend who's kind of interested in archery but kind of think it's not for them because they're in a similar position to you or they've got some kind of mobility issue and you know maybe listening to you can reassure them that it you know it's something that they could do um, and oh, yeah. that, you know anything's anything's possible and anything's achievable if you've just you know you, you know you're willing to give it a go so thank you very yeah. much for and, coming and also, on and sharing your experience yeah and it, and it does take time to build up so what we're talking about is 
you know, we've been shooting now for a number of years. And when I started, you know, I was shooting a, a little 28 pound longbow. Yeah. And I have gradually built up to it. And you can, or people say, oh, I don't have the strength for it. Well, of course you don't, because you haven't exercised yeah, those muscles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if you start, you've got to start. And then gradually your body will adapt and you'll build up technique and you build up strength. And then, you know, I've gone from thinking, well, I'm only ever going to pull this bow because I, I, I'm struggling. And from going from a 28 pound to I've got a 54 pound horse bow, which I shoot with my thumb and I've got, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. It can be done. <laughs> yeah. And it's just about being being patient and, and, and just enjoying it as well. And, Honestly, it is so much fun to to go and shooting, and and it really relaxes you, and it and it balances the hectic parts of your life. Yeah, which is what we need. We all need balance in our lives. Uh, and whilst I might race a motorbike at 160 miles an hour, I'm also extremely happy just to be sat very still, shooting a bear boat. And those are the opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, (laughs) And I derive the same amount of pleasure. So, yeah, hopefully more people do it. And, um, you know, long may it continue. Excellent. Excellent. Well, lovely to speak to you. And um, I'll let you go back and enjoy the delights of the Premier Inn. Um, yes, hooray! <laughs> uh, and uh, we'll no catch badges. Up, we'll no badges, and we'll catch up uh, at some point in the future. Thanks for being Indeed. on. Thanks for being part of the Bearbo Archery Podcast. My absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. This episode is sponsored by EagleArchery.co.uk.